When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, what the fuck happened in there? What the fuck happened out here? The plan started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO original series Westworld. I'm David Chen. And I'm Joanna Robinson. Welcome to the podcast. What we do here on Decoding Westworld every week is we spoil and discuss and theorize about this week's episode of Westworld, uh, but we do not spoil anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything on the next time on preview for Westworld. This week, we'll be discussing season three, episode five entitled Genre. But before we get into any of that, we always like to get into follow-ups, things we thought of after we recorded the podcast that we forgot to get on there, and your emails, which you can keep coming into decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Now, Jonah Robinson, uh, I have often had the theory that uh, when somebody says something on a podcast and they get a thousand corrections to it in email... It's actually a sign of a thriving podcast. Oh, you know? yeah? Okay. Because, okay. Good to know. Because it, 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 then uh, if they don't respond, then there's one of two options. Either no one's listening or they do listen, but they just don't think you have very high standards. <laughs> uh, so I actually think corrections are a good thing, which is why I'm so excited that we got approximately 500,000 emails this week about a comment you made on last week's episode of the podcast. You want to recap that for us, Joanna? Um, I did not go back and listen uh, to the episode, but I believe what I said when Bernard is in the motel uh, in Southern California and he sees rockets going off in the distance and rockets landing in the distance, I believe I said something like, rockets don't land like that now. What a cool vision of the future, right? Or do rockets land like that? I think I introduced an element of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I don't that, think that sounds about I right. was that sounds right, yeah. deeply certain. Anyway, as it turns out... <laughs> Uh-huh, uh-huh. Rockets, rockets do land like that in the Elon Musk uh, SpaceX uh, program. Also, fun fact, Jonathan Nolan himself has like shot videos of, you know, cool looking videos of these uh, rocket landings. Um, I received many emails about this and, and a lot of tweets. Here's a, can I just say really quickly? Yeah. It is, it, you know, if I say something wrong, or especially if I say, do they? And you're like, I, I got to tell her they do. Oh, my God. That's, that's fine. Um, I will say, though, about like 75% of you started your emails and or tweets with like, I'm sure someone else has already told you this, but. And I want to just, I just want to like ask you to look inwards <laughs> at yourself and wonder what it is about yourself that causes you then to continue to write that email or tweet if you are sure someone else has already told me. Well, I, I um, think the problem is that the brilliance of Elon Musk <laughs> cannot be questioned, John Robinson. You know, I mean, how how and, dare any of us mere mortals 
repudiate any of his discoveries. <laughs> I will say a few of you were incredibly mean, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, so so much so that Dave asked me like on Monday if I wanted to edit the section out of the podcast to stop people from responding, and I said no, let it stand. <laughs> um, so. I was totally willing to go back against my journalistic integrity. <laughs> And excise the offending portion because that's happened to me before on like a, a podcast, like the slash filmcast or something, where I'll make a mistake and then I, I, I say to myself, "Well, uh, rather than get corrections on Twitter for the next seven days, I'm just gonna go back in and snip that bit out." Um, but Joanna is, uh, is has is hardier than me. You know, you're you're made of tougher <laughs> you're made of tougher stuff than David Chen. Or maybe I just like then whining about it on Twitter and being the victim. Either way. <laughs> you choose to take on the slings and arrows of people's Elon Musk-related corrections. I so. learned a lesson, which is <laughs> here's the really important lesson. Uh-huh. Don't cross the muskers. Yes. <laughs> the um, muskheads will I, have their day. I believe they're called Elon files. No, I'm just, oh, did it? <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, so upsetting. But thank you for the emails about... Mm-hmm. That topic. Uh, the correction is understood. SpaceX is amazing. Long may they reign. <laughs> Long mm. may they reign. So say we all. Uh, speaking of random things from last week's episode to follow up on, one of them is that, uh, you know, it, it did occur to me after we talked about the scene where they do the bank heist with Aaron Paul's character, Caleb. It, it's, isn't it just so odd that they, they request like a blood sample, but... When they pull the blood sample, they don't pull up like a, a photo ID of the person. You know what I yes. mean? Yes. Yes. I would say even when Bernard himself jacks into his own <laughs> iPad, a photo of him comes up. So where is the where is the photo with the profile for this guy they, they took the blood out of? So, it, yeah. it, I think it's I, – I get thrown off whenever anything futuristic doesn't match up to the security technology we have today. You know? Like mm-hmm. today we have face ID. On on millions and millions of iPhones, um, but uh, they do not have that in Westworld Future World, uh, which is a shame because it would have prevented trillions of dollars from getting stolen or however the hell how much he took. Anyway, another follow up to last week's episode. Uh, we talked about how Ramin Javadi's orchestral arrangement of Wicked Games was pretty badass during that scene where they were auctioning off people. And... Uh, I think Ramin Javadi was actually listening to this podcast because within days of us talking about it, that song is now available on all streaming platforms. So thanks, Ramin, for uh, yes. putting we that did that. Yeah, no, we did that. We did that. Mm-hmm. I'm just joking. Ramin doesn't know who we are, but <laughs> but it's nice to think about it. It's nice to think about it, isn't it? In these in these times, Joanna, yes, in these troubling times, yes. On that note, here, let me just take us down a random path, uh, which is, I don't know if you watch any, like, in general, you and I rarely watch uh, TV on broadcast television, because a lot of the shows we watch are cable, um, yeah. or we, you know, you'll get screeners, or, uh, you know, I'll watch it on Netflix or whatever, or Prime Video, and um, I had a chance to watch Better Call Saul recently, mm-hmm. um, and I have YouTube TV, so I basically watch a DVR'd version of Better Call Saul. And first of all, let me just say this week's episode of Better Call Saul is one of the best episodes of Better Call Saul I've ever seen. Possibly one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I've heard, yeah. yeah it's, it is absolutely incredible. And uh, But I was watching it, and I noticed that uh, many of the TV commercials 
kind of obliquely acknowledge that we are living through a pandemic, but yes. they, they never say what it is that's happening. They, they always I say have the, like, yeah. Sorry, I yeah, had the ahead. same experience. I watched the Shit's Creek finale live. Uh, and had commercials for the first time in like uh, uh, so long, and I was so weirded out by all the pandemic commercials. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, it's just because I understand why they're doing what they're doing, which is they don't want to they don't want to uh, give a name to the thing. They don't want to because I presume that identifying and reminding people of the actual thing they're going through is a huge downer from a. Um, sales perspective <laughs> like people don't want to be reminded of the tough times right. they're going through but it just creates this really kind of perverse weird situation where the, every commercial is alluding to this extremely challenging event but nobody is saying what it is yeah it's like a it's like a real life version of westworld where they're just hinting at things but they're not revealing them <laughs> the incident <laughs> the incident there's actually a great mitchell and webb look uh sketch uh-huh. It's about it's a game show that takes place after the event. And they keep referring to the event, uh which you know these commercials remind me of. Anyway. Okay, Wicked Games now streaming uh Rumi Javadi's version, check it out. Uh okay. There was also a um a cover of a Bjork song uh that I missed that played when uh Sirak and uh Maeve are talking in that restaurant in the Philippines. So mm. a lot of people a couple people wrote in to be like, uh what about you forgot about Bjork? So I I mean, I never want to forget about Bjork. So <laughs> my apologies. Yes, the excellent Bjork song Hunter uh earlier yeah. in the episode. So um So before yeah. we get to the episode, John Robinson, you have a couple of theories you want to discuss that have been floating up. Uh, yeah so we're in a fun position right now because this is the first time well i guess last week was the first time but like uh uh, i have not seen any future episodes so if we do any like wild speculation on this uh podcast it's just gonna be like pure solid gold wild speculation like how fun uh which means i finally jumped over to reddit because like sometimes it stresses me out to see like theories i know are wrong so i've been kind of avoiding reddit this season because like it stresses me out to watch people like get themselves wound up about like i don't know say who's in charlotte hale's body when like i know what the right answer is if that makes sense i'm curious why does that yeah why does that stress you out let's dive a little Uh, bit into this (laughs) know that we need to psychoanalyze that i don't know there's just like because people get so attached to their theories and they get really bummed out oh right uh, yeah it's, it's cause it's, it, what comes after it's not the actual theorizing it's what comes after when they're revealed to be incorrect right, right right exactly, yeah. exactly. that can be no stressful. theorizing is like so fun and like incorrect theorizing i mean i'm i'm the queen of that so let's do it um But there are two main theories sort of roaring through Reddit that I wanted to talk about. I don't agree with either of them, but I thought we should at least, like, talk about them. And I'd love to hear your theory on them. All right. Basically, the Redditors are having been burned by timey-wimey bullshit in the first two seasons of Westworld, um, are, like, on a knife's edge, really worried that, like, uh, Lisa, Joy, and Jonah are going to, like, pull a rug out from under them on something, right? So they've concocted to... Inc- which, which we all know would be a worst-case scenario. Right? <laughs> um, uh, they've concocted elaborate theories about, like, so to try to, like, anticipate, like, a, a ha-ha, fooled you moment. They could be like, no, I saw it coming. Anyway. So the first one um, is this idea of a mirror world. Okay. So Roboam um, or the system at large, uh, you know, ba- we saw a lot, a uh, lot more information about it this week. And basically it runs, it run- would you say it runs simulations? Like it runs, um, it makes predictions based on, yeah. you know, what have you. 
So um, a, I'm I'm going to get into this later, but the devs comparisons are really hot and heavy now. But we can we can dive into it later. But yes, roughly um, what you're saying is right. So there have been some continuity errors throughout the season. Like a woman in the background might be folding one color blanket, then she's folding another, or two people. Um, there's like f- four of them. Um, that seem a little sloppy if they're just continuity errors and not like crazy sloppy, just a little sloppy. Um, and so people <laughs> are like, what if, <laughs> um, well, the biggest one being, uh, in the Charlotte Hale episode, episode three, we see her, uh, you know, talk to the camera and say like, uh, the real Charlotte say like, you know, this is for Nathan, um, you know, uh, part of her message from the massacre on the park. Right. Mm-hmm. And we see a short version of it at the beginning of the episode. Then we see a longer version of it at the end of the episode. And the version we see at the beginning of the episode has basically been edited, um, versus the one at the end of the episode. Um, I think that's just a storytelling device. Like they were just showing some yeah. of us at the beginning and the full thing at the end, especially since we weren't supposed to know who Nathan was yet and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it has spooked enough people that uh, they have decided that there is something going on. Uh, it's called a mirror world where sometimes when we think we're watching the real world, actually we're watching what Rehoboam thinks is going to happen. Mm. Versus what is actually happening. So we're they're running a mirror world to our own world inside the system. Um, <clears throat> I think this – the main reason I don't believe in both of these theories is I think they will be the kind of tricksy that the Nolans have promised they're not going to do this season. Mm-hmm. So I think if that were the case, if, if we were – going to have to go back through the season with a fine tooth comb to figure out when uh, we were in a mirror world and when we weren't like that really betrays the promise that they made to make a more straightforward show. So I don't think it's a mirror world. Do you have any thoughts of, of that about that? Um, yeah, I, I would agree that we're probably not seeing a mirror world. Although I will say the thing, I I don't think that's true, but the thing that I don't think the mirror world theory is true, but the thing that kind of makes me think twice about it is what's been odd is there's been numerous occasions in the show where the AR glasses are placed on someone's face and Mm -hmm. we don't see what they see. Uh, and I, I just think, huh, that's really weird because like in the first episode, when that happened, they showed us what was, what that person saw. And then subsequent times, like this episode, you don't see what that person sees. And right, so but like, there's a there's a reason for that in this week's episode. Well, that's fair enough. But I'm just saying, you know, I'm like, <laughs> huh, I wonder if uh, maybe there's something that they're seeing that, uh, you know, that, well, okay, never mind. I, I don't think it's true. Next theory. <laughs> Uh, next theory is this is the ongoing simulation theory that uh, that we have yet to see Maeve in the real world and that she is still in a simulation. Mm. Um, and once again, both of these theories are incredibly popular, at least, you know, in the Reddit dive that I did. And I just think that that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make sense, especially the way that like the Yakuza plot bled into the, you know, Sirak on his plane plot, which bled into, you know, it all, it was all connected. I just, I don't think that that's true. Well, here's, here's the thing that uh, in, in all of our podcasting adventures, I have tried to encourage our listeners to contemplate, which is 
If the theory is true, how does it make the right. show richer? Like, right. does it make the show more interesting or richer if the theory is true uh, versus just, hey, I think Sansa's pregnant? You know, like it, it just right. uh, why is the show better off if that theory is true? And uh, I will say in the theory's defenses, like, you know, these actually aren't like when, when you say these theories, I'm not like, oh, that's completely out of the character for the show. You know, like it, it's, <laughs> it is possible. That Maeve is you know, in a simulation in a simulation. You know yeah. my favorite theory that uh, that we didn't talk about, but uh, but didn't happen, but it, it was really fun. Is when people were trying to guess who was in Charlotte Hale's uh, body. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh huh. I don't know if you heard this. Charlotte is Dolores's horse theory. <laughs> 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 my favorite one. It's amazing. Uh, it's her horse from Westworld. But what's fun is that. Um, <laughs> Dolores has a moment in this episode where she definitely treats treats that motorbike like it's her horse. Right. Um, And I was just like, I was like, oh, there's her horse, guys. (laughs) Don't worry. It's still here. Um, But yeah, anyway. uh, So so would the show be better or more interesting if Maeve was still in a simulation? I get that doesn't really strike me as thematically interesting. It's maybe like it's maybe a pull the rug, you know, out from under you thing but and, and, and that's why i think um last season feels sometimes feel like such a failure to me because i'm not sure that whole like charlotte was actually dolores the whole time thing feels like a satisfying twist in mm. that regard versus i do think the season one time line split is satisfying yes. because Yes, you know, good. watching William turn into the man in black. I think that's a really interesting thing that they're showing us there. But season two, I'm not sure I got anything, the, the same level of emotional interest to in me. And then similarly here with the mirror world theory and the Mavis still in a simulation theory, it's like that just feels like a gotcha rather than a, you know, oh, so that means right. X, right. you know. You know, this this actually reminds me of this piece that Brandon Katz wrote this week. I was reading Brandon Katz. Uh, right about Westworld uh, over at the Observer uh, mm-hmm. at Observer.com, and I'll just read this one paragraph to you. Um, he writes, "Quote: Imagine the making of a television show as the construction of a house. The main characters and central themes are the sturdy foundation that support continued development. The main storylines are the walls that give structure and definition to the interior. Now throw in a series of trap doors and secret passageways that double for deliberately confusing and misdirecting mysteries." That might be cool in a fanciful sort of way, but possess a very limited utility. You don't want to throw a dinner party only for your guests to end up stuck inside a wall. And yet, following the fourth episode of Westworld this season, it's hard not to feel as if the audience is trapped in a carnival funhouse, end quote. Now, I'm not quite as negative as, as him on this. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty close, but I'm not quite as negative. But I think the idea of... Uh, if you think of a TV series as a house metaphor, right, and like surprises are like the back door like the secret passageways uh mm-hmm. that's a great analogy in my opinion because the secret passageways are not where you want to live in the house you know like mm-hmm. if you if you had guests in the house you wouldn't take you'd show them the secret passageway you'd be like hey look at the secret passageway and they'd say oh that's pretty cool but then that's not where you'd spend most of your time you know um you'd spend it in the dining room or in the the study or in the lounge or in the speakeasy this is a very lovely house by the way that i'm imagining <laughs> uh and i think that what we're seeing with episodes uh, four, definitely episode four, to a lesser extent, this episode is um, that Westworld is still very much uh, obsessed, is maybe too strong a word, but certainly very uh, 
fixated on the idea of twists and turns and it, yeah. it almost has become the point of the show rather than a nice little a, a nice to have that that supplements the storytelling right um, and uh, you know we talked about this you know not to keep beating a dead um dolores horse but like <laughs> the um <laughs> the charlotte reveal uh it doesn't feel emotionally satisfying me for me to know that uh, you know a week previous i had been watching dolores go through a thing right you know so that's the question yeah um but yeah so those are some of the theories uh there's another theory that uh serac isn't like real that he's just a hologram uh, um and or a sort of physical embodiment of the system itself. I think this episode disproves that, but you can, you know, cling to that theory if you want. And <laughs> I think that's all I've got. All right. All right. Um, so let's get to this week's episode, which is called yeah. Genre. Uh, genre is the name of the drug that they ingested in last week's episode. And also that Caleb, I guess, gets injected into him in this episode. Yeah. Uh, and... Overall thoughts on this week's episode, John Robinson, before we dive into the recap. Yeah, um, I was going over this episode um, and realizing that there is actually more of it I liked than I initially thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's just the, 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 the titular conceit that doesn't work for me. But the Ciroc stuff really does work for me very well. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, to quote Bernard, I'm of two minds, um, on this one, I think. What is the, uh, titular conceit in, in your opinion? <laughs> just so <laughs> I understand, just so we try to eschew obfuscation here. <laughs> Sorry, should I not have said the <laughs> titular conceit? Um, that, uh, you know, Caleb gets dosed with this drug and so for the sort of like heisty action kidnapping section of the episode, he's tripping through five different genres of film that are given a different music cue to let you know what genre of film you're in. Um, and I guess, you know, my my broad take on that uh, is that I don't mind that idea. I think it's kind of cool. I think they just like gave it about 10 percent and they yeah, should have given it. The execution. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, overall, I thought. Pretty rough episode, in my opinion. Um, I think you're right. Uh, here's the thing I realized. In general, when Westworld is doing the flashbacks, it's really good. I would say yeah. overall, whenever it's Westworld has up, flashbacks, they're pretty excellent in general. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you can count like Jimmy Simpson's whole arc as a flashback. I wouldn't necessarily. But I mean, like, think about like uh, Akichita in season two mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, all the stuff with like uh, older Delos in season two. You know, like any anytime there's a flashback, I in general find it quite compelling. And all the Ciroc stuff was really well done. It's and very economical too, like really great storytelling because mm-hmm. they try to convey all this backstory and and get it across in not that many scenes. Um, so really love all the Ciroc stuff and everything else. Not as much of a fan. Um, and we'll get we'll get into why in a little bit. But yeah, that's kind of my overall thoughts and. And the genre stuff that you mentioned, it just it it really did not work for me at all, unfortunately. Um, so those are my overall thoughts. But let's dive into the episode mm-hmm. and and get into uh, specific thoughts. So there is four plot lines in this episode, and one of them is uh, the Sorak brothers. Right, mm-hmm. we get a dose of their history. We see that Jean Michel and 
Ungaron Siroc <laughs> survive the bombing of Paris, but they're put in quarantine because of nuclear explosion. Because of nuclear exposure, uh, Jean Michel, the older one, is a genius, and together they create the system. But they need money and data, so they bring Liam Dempsey Senior on board. But he is the worst. He gave them a yottabyte worth of data. So what's a yottabyte of data, Joan Robinson? So do you ever watch Westworld and you're like, is this a made-up word or is this a real word? Do rockets really <laughs> land like this or not? <laughs> um, so anyway, I googled what a yottabyte was, um, and it is a large amount. It is. Uh oh, I can't. One septillion bytes is yeah. a yottabyte of data. So if you think about a terabyte, but like much, 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 much more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a terabyte, but much, much bigger. Thank you. That's yeah. Great. yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait. I uh, okay. I have more information. One of the best ways to visualize this data was developed by Wikibon. Imagine a standard iPad with 16 gigabytes of storage is fully loaded. A single petabyte would equal about 62,500 of those. Now stack those iPads on top of each other and compare them to some of the world's tallest buildings. The Empire State Building is at 1,250 feet. Those iPads stacked up twice that height at 2,604 feet, almost as tall as the Burj Khalifa, the world's tallest building. The estimated amount of data in the digital world in 2010 was 1.2 ZB. I don't remember what that is. uh, Or 75 billion fully loaded iPads. Mm, 75 billion iPads. You know what I love? I love when the way people illustrate things is like, okay, I'm trying to convey to you how big this thing is. But then the thing that they use to do that is equally incomprehensible. You know, like, yeah, that was that did wind up being gibberish. I thought it would be helpful. I'm not sure it was. It's like, okay, you can't imagine a septillion bytes, but imagine 76 billion iPads. Okay, I guess I can kind of wrap my head around that. Anyway, it's a lot of data. It's a lot of data, right? It's a lot of data. Uh, so then, anyway, uh, at first, Liam Dempsey Sr. is pretty unhappy with what the Ciroc brothers are doing. Um, and he, by the way, lists... Half uh, he, he lists the fact that they've done half a dozen versions. Now, this is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. He lists them as, uh, he says, Saul, David, and Solomon, right? Now, uh, those were kings of Israel mm-hmm. uh, in the Old Testament. Correct. And if you went to Sunday school, as I did, uh, <laughs> I, 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 my, my understanding, and, you know, I'm, I, this is now this is me throwing my... Um, Twitter line on the, on the line my my Twitter life mentions on the line here but uh from from what I learned at my extremely conservative Christian upbringing is that uh, essentially the the kings of Israel were uh these kind of like essentially it was like Israel wanting to be ruled by a king but like a king could never be as perfect as God and so all these kings were really quite fallible in some way. They all they were all like really great in their own ways, but they all had pretty uh, significant human flaws. Um, and so the idea that it would be like Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, like that you're you're going through these things, but like and you hope each one is going to be uh, the solution to your problems, like the the thing that finally solves it. But in fact, they're all like hideously flawed in some way. Uh, that had resonance with me. I don't know if I'm reading it correctly um, based on my very oh, lo- elementary knowledge of this, but yeah. Well, I love that. I love that idea. Like these are, these are foul, like this system that's trying to rule people uh, is named after these very fallible Kings who failed to rule their people in one way or another. Um, and, and like a, 
with the authority that is godlike but is not god and so perhaps um you know Dolores is actually the true god um you know that we should be talking about here it's interesting to me that for the one that is in season three, they chose Rehoboam, probably the least known one of all of these guys. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, maybe they were, well, maybe they were hoping to hit us with that, that Kings of Israel <laughs> that jazz a little later. That, that offhanded <laughs> reference, you mean? <laughs> um, that maybe not even everyone got. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, why I not mean, choose... I got- I got that they were kings of Israel, but but I did not go to Sunday school at all. So I'm really appreciative of your of your interpretation. Of that I'll, uh. I'll just say, you know, who knows how much of my Sunday school is actually propaganda versus you know historical <laughs> historical truth. So like, take it with a massive grain of rock salt. But you know, I'm just like, dude, Solomon is right there. Everyone knows who Solomon is. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Solomon's yeah. like a well known cultural figure, in my opinion. So yeah, but they went with Rehoboam, which uh, bold move, Westworld writers, bold move. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay. So anyway, they continue putting together this system and then they're, they are able to use it to predict the stock market. Um, but then, uh, and Liam Dempsey is first is really excited because he's making a lot of money, uh, getting a lot of prestige. Um, but uh, eventually he kind of grows too big, big for his britches and uh, they have to take him out. Uh, side note to this is that, that Ciroc starts imprisoning and experimenting on undesirables. Uh, so and he says, quote, there are little white spaces, a bubble of agency. So people who essentially cannot be controlled by the system. Is that right? Like once you tell them what they should do, they refuse to comply. Is that is that your understanding of this? Yeah, but so like the people we'll get to this a little bit more later um, because it, it relates to Caleb uh, and to William, I think. But, um, you know, he I'm a little worried it means people who are mentally unwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly so his brother is one. These like flies in the ointment, these these uncontrollable, unpredictable elements um, in the system. And uh, I believe that when Sirach is talking to Liam Dempsey Sr., he says, you know, usually the the way the system handles them is that it, like, sends them to a war zone or something, manipulates them into a situation where they will be uh, disposed of um, so that they can't continue to, like, trouble the system. Sirach is like, what if instead we pluck them out of play and contain them and try to, um, I think the word that Liam Dempsey Sr. uses is like geld them. You can't change our fate. You can't geld humankind. 
somewhere in this group is an agitator who will destroy the world. I can't let that happen. Hey, you've gone too far. No, I can't be a party to this. Basically, like, do experiments on them to correct them, edit them, I think, is something yeah. Sirach says. And so this idea of sort of, like, um, n- neutering them, uh, changing them, enhancing them in some way so that they won't uh, disturb the system, uh, but they have a chance of survival. And and to put a personal face on it, it's like his brother is one of those people, so, like, he has a motivation to figure out how to you know, kind of save them. I mean, this is the whole thing with Ciroc that's so compelling and fascinating is like, he's not, uh, you know, is he deeply flawed in, in his ideas of controlling humanity? Yes. But does it come from this place of wanting to save the world? I kind of believe it does, you know? So is he like being a monster about it? I mean, for sure. We watch him viciously murder a person, but, um, you know, he's not doing it to a mass power at least not overtly he at least has like drunk his own kool-aid right (laughs) about why he's doing things well and and, uh they give him a pretty good backstory which is that he's witnessed the horrors that mankind can inflict on itself you know like he's witnessed the bombing of paris uh I, i thought all this was really interesting and the way the story was really well told my one beef with this is uh just the process of the uh, system kind of taking control of society. I just feel like there's a little bit of material missing there. You know, I, I don't know if you feel that way, but I, I compare this to a show like Devs, which I know people might be tired of me talking about, but the, the it's so similar. In fact, they even use the same metaphor. In Devs, there's this a thing called, uh, they, they call it tram lines. Like, we're on tram lines. And I think in this episode, they call it like, we're off the train tracks now or something. We're off the rails now or something like that. And no, no, they've they've been on a train. We're showing them the rails. Yeah, they've been on the train. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's like rails versus like tram lines. It just mm-hmm. feels like, and they're dealing with very similar topics. But like devs takes place over the course of maybe two weeks or whatever. You know, it's it's a mm-hmm. very short period of time. Whereas in this uh, show, you're flashing, you're jumping forward years. You know, in in the matter of seconds, and uh, I just feel like. It might have fast forwarded just a touch too much for me uh, in terms of how they went from, hey, these two brothers building the system to, oh, by the way, the system now runs all of society. You know, but that's me. Any any thoughts on that? Um, well, I thought you were going to have similar questions about when we see Ciroc, uh talking to the Brazilian president. I thought you were going to have uh, classic Chen-esque questions about <laughs> how this all works exactly. No, no, that part, that part, I actually, uh, I, that's the thing is like, if you can convince me that he has, has taken control of society using Rehoboam, then the uh, Brazilian president, that all makes sense. You know, like that, that, that's very logical to me. Um, so it's it's just like that process that I felt was a little bit lacking in this episode. But well, I think and and it's not fair to judge the show based on like external material they've released, but they have released um info, like backstory info about how um like governmental cuz basically insight technology runs everything, right? Basically, we find out that Insight technology runs everything. You know, Dolores says some exposition about that. Like, it even runs this, you know, this driverless car or whatever. So, uh, I don't know. I think there's ways in which, like, the creep of of um, technology, I could see it happening, like, 30 years in our future. Yes, I could see a system that sort of, like, we all sign up for 
um, because of the, you know, but anyway, they released some uh, ex- uh, additional info about, um, um, data laws and the government and what insight was able to gather data wise of why insight has a Yoda bite of data. on us, <laughs> et cetera. So, um, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of believe that. Whereas, you know, if we want to, we want to hop on over to, uh, Sirach in the, in the, in the present closer, timeline. closer to present day, right? I don't yeah. It's not present day, but yeah, closer. To um, we we see him in Brazil talk to the Brazilian president, uh, you know, snuffing out an insurrection um, and and basically saying that the Brazilian president needs to stop being so corrupt. And if he stops doing that, then this uh, like potential insurrection will never happen. And he sort of and the president's like, well, I, what if I don't do what you say? And he's like, well, then your your currency will suddenly inexplicably be valueless and we're going to put that guy in charge sort of thing. It reminded me very much of like things you hear about the CIA, you know, king making, king breaking around the world. Um, and I, my question is like, how does one man, <laughs> even with his holograms and his like, uh, you know, airship that he might live on, um, how does he manage to like hop? Is he Santa Claus? Like, how does he hop around the world uh, fast enough to be able to like snuff out all the potential disasters that are looming, you know? <laughs> He's, yeah. He's like a a modern day computer powered Superman, basically, right? Trying yeah. To, trying to stop uh, global catastrophes before they happen. But I, you know, he's got this super cool jet, Joanna Robinson. So maybe uh, it's a jet thing. Maybe that jet can go faster than we can even conceive. So I'm just saying, if Strock were a better manager, he would have more people working for he's him. Than he trusts. He's got to delegate. Yes, he really you know? does. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got to delegate to people who don't get blown up real easy. How about that? <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. Uh, his right hand woman. I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really starting to get attached to that character. Uh, so anyway, I we, mean, we, I, and what, one thing that I do want to mention about that, uh, two things I want to mention about that uh, Brazilian uh, exchange is. Um, He's looking at when he's when he's sort of showing the data on the tablet about like the insurrection. Uh, things are marked on the map as sec- as sectors, and that's a very like Delos Park thing, right? Mm. Like it reminds me of season one when like the people at at the mesa in the park would be like, "Well, there's an you know, oh, there's an issue over here in sector you know twenty. We got to go check it out," sort of thing. Um, so just further underlining the. Connection between you're working on your Delos uh, uh, Westworld Park interview uh, packet. It sounds like <laughs> I I think I have it nailed. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then the fly motif, which I think is interesting. Like he calls these uncontrollable elements in the system flies in the ointment, which I think is like a great thing to say. But also there's this like fly that's sort of buzzing around the Brazilian president. Um, mm. As he's talking and he keeps swatting away at it, you know, and, and when someone swats at a fly in Westworld, like you're you you're brought back to season one and like the flies and I wouldn't hurt a fly and Dolores sort of like swatting at a fly and, and stuff like that, like all all of that fly motif that we've seen. But I just thought it was interesting. Like I, it feels like it's meant to be like, you know, this is a disturbance in the system you know, this Brazilian president that he has to like handle. Uh, I don't know if you have any other ideas as to why. Um that would have been there. That was my take. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and in general, when you see a fly on a TV show or a film, it's usually very deliberate, right? I mean, 
he swats at it like broadly like five times like it's very much it's like seeing it's like seeing someone cough in a uh in a tv show or film uh generally if they're coughing it's kind of like they definitely put that in there on purpose because otherwise they would have used another take uh so yeah i think that's all that's all on the mark um so closer to modern day sirak has other adventures uh we see him with a uh, wristwatch with a Rehoboam ink blot. I guess I think the idea here being that this watch or Rehoboam watch, as I believe it's called, um, uh, allows him to see uh, what Rehoboam is thinking and doing. It's kind of like a way to monitor it. Is that kind of the implication later when like sort of the black edge starts to thicken on the left side of it, like almost looking like a, an eclipse sort of thing happening in the rot watch. And he's, um, angry about it so to me it's like uh you know if, if we see a relatively healthy uh you know water glass stain image <laughs> on the watch all is well but if the black starts to bleed into the watch face that that means there's a problem in the system unrest sort of thing yeah so uh anything else we want to talk about with regards to Sirach's uh, doings for the rest of this episode. I mean, he tries to stop Dolores and is not super successful, basically, right? Um, and that in- involves the blowing up of his right-hand person um, by uh, one of Dolores's agents. Uh, and yeah, anything else notable about this that you want to mention? I mean, R.I.P. Robot Connells. Um, it, yeah, I think it's it's worth noting that he... So he finds out that Dolores has agents in Jakarta, Berlin, San Francisco, and L.A., right? L.A. is Connell, San Francisco is Charlotte, Jakarta, we presume, is Musashi. Um, so Berlin is the question mark, mm. the mystery host that's out there um, that I'm still hoping is uh, Clementine. But someone's in Berlin, and we don't know who yet. So, All right. um, And then he also says when he when – he, I, I don't know. I got questions about – uh yeah okay here's here's a quick question <laughs> uh-huh. so so when sh- when uh Maeve tries to rescue her own like uh CPU unit right or is that redundant CPU from the um yeah. from the, the compound, compound yeah. there are many more there right she's uh, not yes, the only correct, correct. CPU there yes. right. So there's something about the way that Ciroc says activate all assets. Now he might just mean like alert every human that we have working for us around the globe. It's like the end of uh, John Wick two or whatever, you know what I mean? Like send all bounty hunters after these targets and let's go. But activate assets sounded almost like, uh, like does he have, you know, he has a way to make a Mave body. Does he have any other, hosts working for him mm. i mean I, I i you know we'll we'll get to the one that i really think is working for him but like are there more question mark uh, i i didn't get that just because i don't know if you've seen the born movies like jason born but like in all those movies the assassins are referred to as assets sure. so that's kind of sure. just what i assumed okay I, I assumed that Ciroc was a huge Bourne fan um, when he watched those. Um, so. I think I heard he has a tattoo that says Treadstone. On it. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's more of a Blackbriar kind of guy. Anyway, okay. 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 We're done. Okay. So uh, that's what happened with Ciroc this week. Before I move on, we got to thank all the people who donated to our Kickstarter. It's because of you that we're doing this podcast. Joanna Robinson, you want to thank some people? 
Yes, I really do. I want to thank uh, Josh Griffey, Sarah Trainer, Zach, Allison Rand, uh, Alicia Janeway, Chris Osowski, uh, Tapio Leopold, uh, Joe Dossi, um, Mark Haycock, uh, Billy Bosky, uh, Eva Sun, um, the man in dingy gray. Oh, the saddest. No, I can't. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Tall Todd Muldrew, uh, Sarah Tully, uh, Andrew. Okay. Andrew Korchinski, uh, Swearer Sigfusson, um, Tom Andreo, Dylan Neal, and the Von Barks. Not my best. <laughs> <laughs> it was a solid, it was a solid performance. <laughs> you, you know what's really interesting, General Robinson, is like I would say that uh, you know I I work in an I used to work in an office before the pandemic, and I would say that about ninety nine percent of the people who I work with I have no problem pronouncing their names, but I would say a lot of the people here uh, who donate to our stuff uh, they're from all around the world, and I'm like sometimes a struggle, General Robinson, sometimes a struggle. <laughs> uh, so it's only it's only when we do these names that I, it reveals how ignorant uh, of name pronunciations I truly am. I get like I'm both really appreciative of the pronunciation guys, which we solicit that we get. They're very helpful, but also they stress me out because like uh, I'm trying anyway. Whatever, uh, uh, Dave. Who else do we want to thank? Okay, David Nicholson from Aberdeen, Scotland. Tony Rollins. Heather Todd, Drew Gergich, Vijay Varman, Robert Cordero, Emily Ralph, Jane, uh, Jim Fryer, Lauren Brown, Ben Anderson, Joe Keller, Reese and Almeida, Jessica Dobrovich, Matt Hall, Stacey Winklepeck, Ken Diorio, Fonda Chu, and Catherine Altmeyer. Thank you so much for your contributions. It's because of people like you that we are doing Decoding Westworld this season. So thank you for your contributions. Thank you so much. Can I, you know, there's something I wanted to mention earlier in the episode that I that I didn't get to. Can I can Hit I me. go on a digression? Oh, I love a digression. Which is before we get back into this, which is that you said, "Hey, uh, I'm a fan of the titular conceit." And I don't know if you know this, but Alan Shurstel, he used to write for Village Voice, uh, very talented film critic. He has this vendetta against the word titular. Are you familiar with any of this? Um, he, he hates the word titular because in his opinion, uh, 99% of the time that titular is used, it's used unnecessarily, you know? So you'll say something like the people who are, who will write a a movie review say like, and and -and so-and-so interacts with the titular Avengers. And it's like, well, you didn't really need to say titular. Like if you just said Avengers, people would know which ones they are. But uh, I will say that when you said titular conceit, I do think that that was a uh, good usage of it. So I think that was a necessary usage. So Can I do a further digression? Please. please. I got like really stressed out when you started that because <laughs> when I was – are you familiar with the word eponymous? Eponymous. Yes, I am. Uh, so eponymous, <laughs> as far as I think I hope I understand it, means titular but it's like a per- – it has to be a person. Yes. Right. Uh, so I misused, um, eponymous in an essay in college once, uh, about, uh, Virginia Woolf's to the lighthouse. And I said the eponymous lighthouse, right. When it should have been the titular mm, lighthouse. Mm. Um, and I mean, 
I can't, that's, that's a really, you know, and, and my professor sort of called me out for it. And that's a really good calling me out because like, I was just trying to be unnecessarily fancy. Uh, and like, wh- why, why? And I was incorrect. So anyway, <laughs> he wrote me a poem in the margin of my essay. I hope I haven't told this story before. Anyway, maybe I have. Do you um, have the poem? I have it. I'm pretty sure I have it memorized because it was so shame making. Um, he, he was a little uh, f- loose and free and loose with the rhyme scheme. Um, but it was like, there once was a girl named Joannimus who misused the word eponymous. Um, some, her logic so specious, the mistake so egregious, she wished she'd remained anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> that is delightful. <laughs> That is so, freaking delightful. Uh, I might have mixed, missed like one word or two there, but that's basically it. So anyway, uh, if you if you ever want to like make sure your student knows that they fucked up a word, uh, please write them a poem in the margin. Right, yeah. Hey, next time I may mess up something about Elon Musk, please send me your correction in the form in a of limerick. a poem. In a limerick yes. form, yeah. Um, but uh, to, to go back to my original point, which is extremely yeah. important. <laughs> sure. Uh, very often the word titular let me just say i love the word titular i used to use it all the time uh but now every time i use it i always quite i always question myself joanna robinson it's, I'm always it's like, good to like do i need this yeah, like, do you need it would would this sentence function without the word titular honestly you spend a lot of your life like trying to like fancify your language up as much as possible and then you get to a certain point as a writer i find that then you realize uh that kind of writing is really obnoxious to read and you then go through and start to try to like like i love precise language i'm not anti-precise language but when i edit other people's work sometimes i'm like you you fix the fancy word and you just use the like normal word because you're like you don't need it's just yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting when i you know when i'm in like high school or or college or something it's like i want to put as many big fancy words in exactly. there as i can and then yeah. like as i've gotten older it's the complete opposite. It is. Yeah. It, it is. You. You look at what you've written, and you. You think to yourself, "What words can I take out to make this as simple and understandable as possible?" Yeah. Um. So uh, th- th- that's kind of our arc in terms of writing, but you know, <laughs> everyone needs to go on their own journey. You know. The best use of titular is obviously the ladybird line. It's a titular role. <laughs> um. But other than that, yeah, use use titular uh, sparingly. Sparingly. Folks. Sparingly, and, and only when necessary. Don't use mis- misuse eponymous. All right, where are we at? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. Um, Bernard and Caleb. Let's do the Dolores stuff first. Can we do that first? Because I think. Well, actually, no, no, no. You're right. Because we ended with the Dolores and Caleb yeah. stuff, right? So yeah, let's yeah, do yeah. let's do the Bernard and Connell stuff first. So uh, Bernard and Connell's. Uh, Bernard is with Connell's when he releases all the insight data and. Uh, Bernard tries to tell Connell's that living inside someone it changes you, which is kind of what. I guess the Charlotte sort of thing. The whole Dolores. Yeah. Well, a a big question we had, I think with the all Dolores reveal is like, will there be upcoming conflict between Dolores prime and the other Dolores? Right. And like, uh, (laughs) what this is a good example of, um, (laughs) I believe it's called a murder of Dolores. No, I'm just, uh, was was the Connell's version of Dolores is a very dutiful soldier Dolores, right? He's like just completely ready to die for the cause. We all have a role to play. Right. This is my role sort of thing. But is that like paving the way for one of the other Dolores, uh, probably the Charlotte one, to not be so willing 
to, you know, uh, die for the cause. Yeah. There was a a poignant moment when uh, Dolores... Dolores slash Connell or Deronnell, as I like to call, or Delonnell, as I like to call her, him. Do you? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> is says to Bernard, you know, you need to go. Uh, you're the only one that can't be replaced, which I thought was interesting. It kind of acknowledging that there's m- multiple of her, so in a way, she's kind of expendable. Um, well, and and Bernard is very important for some reason, and I have a theory, but like that's you know. Do you want to share that or? Do you want to well yeah so like connell's the connell's um dolores <laughs> um like uh, his job is to release the data protect bernard and then uh, you know blow some of inside up i guess um or blow blow himself up so he can't be like taken apart or whatever right um it's like the the equivalent of like cracking the cyanide pill. So like, why is Bernard so important? And like Bernard then later says when when he and Stubbs walk out and they see like the world on fire, Bernard is like, uh, "This is her plan, and I think I'm part of it." And so you know, there's something about Bernard who this whole season we've been getting those Arnold flashes to remind us that the, Bernard is not just Bernard; he's Bernard and Arnold. His pearl is gray and red; it's not just gray. So he's this hybrid. He's a human host hybrid, um, and I think he's going to be maybe a human host hybrid is the only thing that can get inside the Rohobom system because, like. She released the data, but we we know that Ciroc, like Liam Dempsey Jr., does not have the same kind of access to the system that Ciroc has. And like the, Dolores found that out in episode one that she'd been kind of barking at the wrong tree with him a little bit. And so there's still something else she wants to do with the system. And, you know, like my my instinct is that Dolores wants to go inside the system somehow and that maybe Bernard, given his unique hybrid nature is the only thing that can do that. One, one thing I did see floating around on, on Reddit that I liked is this visual connection between the, the gray and red of the Rohoboam uh, system and the gray and red of Bernard's Pearl, that it's like, you know, they are similar ish uh, or at least, you know, sort of color connected uh, in a way. So maybe hinting that that will be a, a connection going forward, mm. but you know, he seems to be an important pawn. So this is where, forgive me monologuing, but this is where my Stubbs theory comes back into play <laughs> because I think you recall that, uh, when we found out that there was that Sirak had another mole high up in the park who got Maeve out for him and who knows what else. Um, and we were like, who could it be? I still very much thinks it's, it's Stubbs. Um, Bernard thinks Stubbs is working for him, but I think Stubbs is working for Serac. And um, my evidence this week for that <laughs> is you will recall that like they're inside the um, Insight building, which is hard to get into, like so hard that Dolores had to like take over the bodily body of Connell's in order to get in there. Um, and Stubbs just shows up in the middle of it all. Like there's, there's, there's Ciroc men surrounding them from all sides. And then Stubbs just like pops out of a doorway. He's like, forget about me, motherfucker. You know? And like, that's just, um, it, to me, it good seems st- like good Stubbs impression, but yeah, thank you. Um, you know, so to me, it just seems like he's, 
he's a Ciroc agent. And now, and that, and if that's true, uh, which I'm sticking by it until I'm proven otherwise, um, then Ciroc has Bernard, right? I think that's a strong theory. Mm-hmm. Although the biggest uh, f- piece of evidence against that theory is that security on this world, uh, this whole future world, seems to be very bad overall. Uh, and so that that would explain how I mean, stuff's got in there. But you know, fair, <laughs> fair. In, but like in the um, park, you know, in the uh, you'll notice the freaking, Dubs, the freaking simulation where they're keeping Maeve. You know, like Stubbs asks a lot of questions, mm. and if like like I would. You know, if someone thinks this theory has some merit, then I would suggest you go back and watch the stub scenes with that theory in mind and pay attention to all the questions that he asks, Bernard. Who do you think he was uh, working for when he was slamming those four locos in a couple episodes ago? <laughs> himself, baby, himself. <laughs> Self-employed man. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Bernard says... Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, the... Uh, they, they uh, Bernard says he's part of Dolores' plan, and then they kind of flee, right? Bernard and Stubbs flee the building. Right. Well, they see the chaos outside. Uh, okay, but there's a big thing in the Bernard plot line yep. this week. Uh, Connells takes the tablet and is like, before I go blow myself up, <laughs> I need you to know something. These are re-education centers that Ciroc is using, basically like those the the place where we saw where Ciroc's brother was. Yeah. Uh, and he pulls it up on the tablet. It says a re-education center, and then we see a photo of the um, Inner Journeys Mental Health Institute where William currently is. So William is in one of Ciroc's re-education centers. Mm. And I kind of assume that like Dolores has basically finagled, like William is basically her, you know, unwitting mole inside of a thing that she wants to get inside. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do you think we're going to see William again this season? Absolutely. Yeah. Thousand percent. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, we should also mention, by the way, that uh, I think Ciroc's plotline this week concluded with him murdering Dempsey, right? Or his, the flashback at least concluded with him I murdering mean, Dempsey. I mean, it's a rough week for House Dempsey. Um, <laughs> both senior and junior <laughs> do not make it out of the episode of life. Yeah, uh, Liam said something in the first episode. He implied that Ciroc had killed his father. Yeah. Um, and so that we see that that's true. And the irony of that, of course, is like it was Jean-Michel who was first like, we should kill Liam Dempsey Sr. And Ciroc kind of acts like, oh, oh mon dieu, we, we will not be killing people. But um, but yeah, he he not only kills him, he kills him like amidst a, you know, makes it look like his, his jet crashed. Um, Which I just thought was really weird. Like why, if you, if you can make his jet crash, um, why wouldn't you just make him his jet crash with him in it? I think we needed to see him... Yeah, I, do, I, I get it from a, I get it from a character perspective. I yeah, just from a I've just never seen that before. Like I've seen people like hijack people's jets and crash them or whatever on uh, in a fictional piece of work, but I've never seen someone like... drive someone out to a, a <laughs> uh, you know a jet crash and then bang his head into like a wing and be like, okay, he died in the crash. It doesn't it's... feel like it's CSI is CSI should be able to crack that case. <laughs> the black box has no evidence that Liam Dempsey was on that flight. Uh, anyway, okay, let's talk about Dolores, Caleb, and Liam Dempsey Jr. 
so what happens with Caleb this week? Uh, he and Liam Dempsey are arguing. Um, they essentially they need some piece of information from Liam, right? Um, not enough to get his hash key, which they got two weeks ago. Now they need his private key, yeah, uh, in order to get into the system. It's multiple MacGuffins. I, I mean, keys that they need to get. <laughs> And so uh, they are able to get it. And then, like, he says, well, it's <laughs> – and by the way, anytime someone in a piece of fiction says, well, that's good. that's never going to be of any use to you, you need to do blank in order to use it. You know, you know that they're going to figure out a way to use it. And in this case of Dolores, she's able to use it because uh, she is You'd have to be, to be in two places at You'd once. You'd have to be in two <laughs> places at once, which is conveniently the one thing we learned you can do last week. So, Dolores can be in up to four places at once. Well, now maybe three, five. I suppose maybe five. Uh, maybe, so, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Liam and Caleb kind of have a confrontation, and he injects Caleb with the the genre drug. Right. So we got to talk about this, right? Because, uh. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So then Caleb kind of experiences the rest of the episode. Uh, as kind of these hyper-stylized film genres. But are they hyper-stylized? Or did they just change the music and, like, fuzz the colors slightly? It really was pretty rough, John Robinson. It felt felt like like an iMovie filter, you know, that you could put on and you then dig out some music from, you know, greatest classical hits, uh, Ride of the Valkyries and such. It, It didn't... Well, okay, no, yeah. they they put a little bit more into it. Uh, I got I played some musical detective, and here's what we've got. I don't know. So we start with the noir, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know because the 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 it goes black and white. We hear the like flicker of the film reel sort of thing, and then we get the like noir trumpets on the soundtrack. I couldn't figure out if there was like anything. To me, it sounded like a Westworld motif played via noir trumpets. But if I missed what, I'm sure it, I'm sure it has to be a film theme because all the rest are. So I'm sure I missed this one, and I just couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe by Sunday we'll have uh, cracked it. Uh, but the next one that happens is Ride of the Valkyries. That, of course, is used very fam- famously in the helicopter bombing scene in Apocalypse Now. Uh, so we are in a sort of like war action sequence moment. Then after that, the um, things get all fuzzy and sweet, and we hear the theme song to the 1970s film Love Story plays on the soundtrack. So this is um, the um, Ally McGraw movie, uh, very famous if you know anything about 70s uh, film. It is a, like, was a hugely, hugely popular, very sappy uh, love melodrama uh, as Caleb is making eyes at Dolores. Um, And then as they're going down into the train, um, we hear Nightclub in by Iggy Pop. That's off the train spotting soundtrack. So I don't really know what we're going for there. I guess like because they're going on a train and he's on drugs, question mark. I don't quite know the train spotting connection there, but that's, that's where we are with that. He's kind of like he's kind of paranoid. He's looking all around him, sort of thing. Um, and then the last uh, musical cue comes right before they're on the beach, and it's the theme uh, from The Shining plays and uh, on the soundtrack. And so you are in—I don't know—I have some further thoughts on that, but like basically you're in a horror film there. So, so that's fun, right? <laughs> like that's fun. Uh, and and Space Oddity plays like a like a. Um, 
um, Ramin Javadi cover, beautiful cover of Space Oddity plays uh, David Bowie's song as they get off of um, the train. But that is not one of the genres because that's when like Caleb goes, whoa, what genre is this? And uh, Giggles goes, this is reality, man. Uh, so that's not one of the five genres. That's like a, a misdirect. But anyway, um, so that's fun. But why didn't they like go with some like extreme visuals right. to accompany this concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It just, I I understand what they're going for, but yeah, the, the, the visuals are just, it felt like they got, you know, they used pretty simplistic methods to, to communicate it. And I, I, I have to think that this was different in concept than it was an execution. You know, that like there was some version of this where like a, a bigger budget version of a, it, a bigger budget version or maybe one that was less grounded in reality, you know, because this felt like a kind of slightly stylized version of what the actual regular style of the show was or the regular reality of the show was, you know, completely. Um, and I was, you yeah. know, I was thinking how fun it could have been if they had like, like when you're in Kayla's perspective, maybe the costumes change, you know what I mean? Like maybe we're like, we see uh, Dolores like g- glammed up as a femme fatale right. in a noir yeah. setting or like they're in like nineties Scottish heroin chic, uh, in, you know, in the train spotting sequence or, uh, you know, apocalypse now or soldiers, something like that, you know? And, and like, if we're switching back and forth between Kayla's perspective and what everyone else is seeing, like that would be a, like a fun visual way to pop in and out. I'm reminded of two things uh, when I watched it. Did you watch any of Legion? Um, yeah, Noah Hawley's? I watched yeah. Uh, season one. Yeah, so in season one, there's a great prolonged sequence where they like for, they flit in and out of like a silent film. Uh, you get title cards and everything sort of like sequence. And, it, you know, Legion, for whatever flaws it may have, is like stylish to the like max and really bold and ambitious visually. And so like, that's a, an example of this exact thing done super well uh, on Legion season one, or more recently um, the nostalgia trip episode of, of Watchmen that happened last season where like, you've got someone sort of tripping through time and, and uh, bouncing between black and white and color uh, in a way that is, is really, really, really compelling. And so then this just feels like, 10%, you know, um, of effort put into this. So I will say that the one component of it, did you ever see the movie dread? The, uh, like the uh, judge dread. Dread uh, What's his name? Carl Urban, right? That one. Yeah. First of all, great film. Um, and the thing that this reminded me most of is like slow-mo. There's a drug in that movie called slow-mo. When you take it, everything slows down. Um, and that, that's kind of what, that's the overarching effect I got is because most of those, uh, genre effects involve slow motion to some capacity. And so I, I felt like it changed his perception of reality and that the, the true function of it was to give him the flashbacks that we get at the end of the episode. Exactly. That's why. A thousand percent. Right. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So anyway, uh, there is a, that you reference this cool car chase sequence. It is pretty cool to see like these self-driving cars and, uh, him using a grenade launcher and the, the tracking the car. He fires it and it tracks the car and blows it up. And, uh, all that stuff is pretty cool, I think. Um, but, uh, ultimately it's so that they can get Liam's personal key code to get into the system. And then they get on a train and Dolores unleashes Rehoboam to everyone's devices. Um, so after that, 
apparently it causes the entire social order to break down. And I'm I curious- mean, what if you what if you I, this I think is interesting. Um, yes. This like uh, rat speech and like this idea of like hope. Like, what if you got a message to your phone that was like, all right, jo- you, Joanna, are like definitely going to. I don't know. It's all depressing. I don't want to do like a me, uh, but like, you know, you, <laughs> Sam, are going to like fictional. die. Are you talking to Sam in the audience right now or just a fictional Sam? Oh, no. Our listener, Sam, you know, oh, yeah. like, okay, that- Sam. Yeah, Sam. You're going to die. No. Um, anyway, so then like that, that, that gives you, then you don't have hope, which is what we need in order to like uh, move through in an orderly manner th- through society, right? This belief that our lives are going to turn out well. That's certainly what capitalism is funded on. Like this idea that like we're going to be successful or at least our kids are going to be successful or something like that. And um and if you get, you know, a, a system, a, a highly accurate system telling you that's not going to be the case or your child is going to die, God forbid, which is like what someone uh, in this sequence learns or something like that. Or in the case of uh, Lena Waite's character, Ash, like her little brother is going to like turn out to be an awful monster, like all this sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, society, I believe society would break down if if that were the case, you know? Uh I don't necessarily disagree. I don't necessarily disagree with you. I just I, I wasn't a huge fan of the execution in the show, um, just because I just think we've seen too little of. If you're telling me that hey, in the future, everyone feels extremely repressed, right? Everyone's extremely repressed. Everyone has their own loops. They've been told by this machine what they're su- supposed to do, and they do that same thing every single day, and they have no hope for a better future. And then all of a sudden, what's on the machine gets told to them explicitly, and then they freak out because uh, they've been living as basically slaves to these algorithms for the past you know X number of years, and now they're finally free. Would that cause them to revolt in some way? I would, I, David Chen would say, yeah, I, I buy that. That makes sense. But I think we see so little of that world. You know, we see, mm. we see Caleb and he's, he's pretty repressed. And so we get that. But he's also, he's already rebelling. He's in the process of rebelling when we come, when we meet him, right? And then the only other humans we really see are the people who are ultra rich, right? Like Liam Dempsey Sr., uh, Jr.'s world. And they basically don't need to obey the rules. And even if they did, they'd be pretty happy with their place in society. So I guess I just feel like there's been too little of society and like what life beyond the characters on screen is like for me to really believe that, hey, this would cause you to start freaking out because you got a weird text. Um, so that's yeah, me. I it, guess. And, and, and like, you know, to unfavorably compared to something else. Um, did you see the... Um the BBC HBO uh, co-pro years and years. I, I saw the first Davies. episode. Never got uh, never got into it. I've heard it's great though. Um, it, you know, people there people feel mixed about it. But what it does show is a very convincing slow dissolution right. of our society, yeah. erosion of liberties, uh, the collapse of uh, various systems uh, and institutions that we have in place. Like what what would cause the complete collapse of society? And we see it unfold over. Uh, the titular years and years and so to watch it happen i think you're right to watch it happen in like 30 minutes well uh, let me put it 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 to you a different way joanna robinson which is that Mm -hmm. (laughs) we we have arguably in the last month seen 
things that are much more likely to provoke civil unrest than, you know, what we see in the show. You know, like mm-hmm. just unemployment at levels that are barely comprehensible. Yeah. Um, you know, pandemic that requires lockdowns in order to keep from overloading the health system. All these things I could list that we don't want to be reminded of because you're listening to this podcast to forget about those things. And uh, I would say certainly there is social unrest to some degree, but people aren't freaking out in the streets and beating people. You know, it just doesn't. So anyway, I just didn't really. It felt y- comical to me. Yes, yet you know, and um, but I, but that's what I'm. That's my point. Is that like it's very possible that's good, that is in our future, but it took like X Y Z for that to happen. That feels more extreme than what's depicted in the show. Um, so maybe I maybe I have my cynical real reality mm-hmm. eye that's you know kind of looking at the show. Um, but to me, all the scenes of people freaking out felt pretty comical, rather than oh my gosh, they finally see the Matrix. You know, it just didn't. It didn't work for me, unfortunately. I like the idea, as I explained. I like the idea. I just don't think the execution uh, really lived up to it. So, anyway, I will say, like this idea of uh, maybe execution, but the, the the what comes before it, this debate over like what will happen. Will it, are you helping people or are, are you harming them to show them this information? Like, uh, do do we have um, an obligation? as keepers of this information to shelter them from it, to protect them from it. And that's the question, right? Like freedom versus chaos. It seems to be like the binary here. Mm. Um, and uh, I just thought that that was interesting. And I thought like maybe, maybe some of the, like the, you know, cars on fire in the street stuff was like maybe a little comical, but I thought that like some of the devastation of the people on the train felt like uh, touching to me. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel, I feel mixed about it, I guess is the point. Um, yeah, again, like, like the idea, uh, didn't like the execution. And there's some things in this episode that I really like the execution of, you know, like I was talking about the flashbacks earlier. Um, I, I thought that was really effective way of conveying the downfall of humanity and stuff like that. So I don't want to be a complete downer, but, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought as with a lot of Westworld in its later seasons, two and three, uh, the ideas are stronger than the execution in my opinion. Um, anyway, go ahead. So, well, so they come out of the train and, uh, a couple of Starhawks people roll up and Dolores steps in front of Caleb cause he's still like tripping, I guess. Yeah. And, and takes two bullets for him. And so he's still on drugs. So maybe isn't fully processing what's happening, but you well, know, they definitely do dwell on the moment in the show. They do. And yeah. he asks about it later. And she's like, we'll talk about it later. But like, <laughs> uh, you know, she, I mean, that's not something that it would happen to a human. So Caleb yeah. is maybe not fully like uh, processed it, but is on the path to getting yes. there. Well, it does um, seem to answer your question human. from last week of whether he, or a couple weeks ago, whether, yeah. whether he is aware Did, that Dolores is a robot. It seems like he's not aware at this point. Well, yeah. He's, he's, he's working on it. Um, is the thing. <laughs> um, the uh so they wind up on this beach this beach scene right and for some background like i just loved the shot of the businessman standing in the water like just in the background mm. of everything uh, you know like he he looked very much like what's that michael douglas movie falling down right he just looked very much like that like he's just dropped his briefcase and like is standing in the water in his in his suit just sort of like 
processing the information he got anyway um basically what i look like every day at 5 p.m by the way (laughs) fair enough uh so uh so we get this confrontation uh that dolores largely stays out of between ash and giggles and uh liam and caleb and liam is ranting about like um like think of what we could have done without people like you uh so he so he has something against like all th- all three of the people who are not Dolores, right? Mm-hmm. But he has a special sort of like fear and anger around Caleb because whatever he sees in his glasses when he puts them on when he looks at Caleb uh terrifies him uh in a way that doesn't when he looks at Ash and Giggles. Like we get Ash's profile we know what's going on with her but we never get a look at Kayla's profile we've seen it before because Dolores had a version of it but uh, uh, I think we're all starting to uh, agree that uh, that is not the full story of Caleb um, and so uh, it, it, we brought up the born identity before and, and and this is sort of like where where I'm standing with this, this is my interpretation of this um, when Liam first looks at Caleb early in the episode through the glasses, he thinks, he says, you think I killed your friend? The way that line is read, uh, it implies to me that Caleb is the one who killed Francis. Um, and my interpretation is that Caleb's, a lot of Caleb's memories are actually implanted memories. They're yes. not something that really happened to him, that the war is not true. Probably the strawberry milkshake story, which felt like very like, weird and off at the time is not true. Um, and that he at some point was, or is one of these undesirables, these uncontrollable chaotic elements in the system that Ciroc tried to edit and re-release to society. But even more so that he did some sort of like, Maybe like some wax work for um, Sirach. We see him like he has um, a mysterious man uh, played by a great Canadian actor Enrico Colantoni uh, in brief flashback uh, with like a hood over his head. And mm-hmm. he's like got got a gun on him and stuff like that. And Francis seems to be like working with him at that point. But then like, did he later shoot Francis? Question mark. Um at any rate, that's that seems to be yeah. the revelation here, right? Well, there is – he says – I don't remember the exact quote, um, but he says something like, you're the worst of them. Like, you don't even – Yes. You don't even know who you are. You don't even know who you are, right? Mm-hmm. So Yeah, uh, so he's somehow something other than whatever Ash and Giggles are, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so he's someone who – and, like, that, that helps us understand why his mother keeps going, like, you're not my son – there was this theory that maybe Caleb was a host, but now it seems more apparent to me that like he's been, you know, reprogrammed somehow like, like a, like Jason Bourne sort of thing. Um, humans can be reprogrammed as well. It seems right. So, you know, know, that that, reminds me though, this was, there was a scene in, um, last week's episode when Dolores says to Caleb, you know, I thought your world would be so much different than mine. Uh, isn't that a weird thing to say if he thinks that she's human? <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Anyway, um, just a ra- random thought. Uh, yes. Uh, the, 
the question here, the big question for me here, and I feel like I already know my answer, but is what does Dolores know and when did she know it? Mm. So to me, by by her reaction, because like, uh, you know. Yeah. She's, not, she's uh, not surprised. No. Liam tells Caleb, like, you did it. Yeah. He dies in Caleb's arm, right? And then Caleb asks Dolores, who does he think I am? And she is completely unperturbed, right? They're saying... What? You did it. Who does he think I am? Who does he think I am? Hey. 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 Who do you think I am? So, like, it seems to me like she already knew what he was. And that makes sense as to why she's so interested in him, right? D- don't you think? More so than, like, if he were just some, like, rando uh, guy. Um, she's looking for another uh, Teddy, basically. Well, a Teddy, but, like, you know, isn't it interesting that this guy uh, has been tinkered with? Like, that's, not, mm-hmm. that's another, like uh thing for her to probe into but um it did she so did she know about it when she showed him that tablet with like his edited profile on it i think so definitely did she know about it even at the very beginning and her stumbling into his arms was planned from the start i think that's possible too knowing dolores Mm. so um it just seemed a very convenient sort of like meet cute thing i don't know so yeah. either either she knew then she at least knew when she go went to rescue him from the construction site um you know what was going on there so um so caleb he what he is not what he appears to be indeed and, and enrico in the show yeah yeah and, and enrico and colin tony uh who most people know from veronica mars um but was also on just shoot me and also was on uh nolan's other show persons of interest which is a show uh, about also party down John Robinson. Excuse uh, me. Obviously. <laughs> um, um, he's not just going to be like a nobody in a flashback. So we're obviously going to get, I feel like we're obviously going to get more of that yeah, story. It would be, it would be weird because he's, he's like, um, he's a recognizable character actor, I think. Yeah. You know? So it'd be weird to just have him be in this one flashback scene. So Enrico, um, a person of interest um i went off on uh, a length about this on on the other westworld podcast i do but like the, people have for years westworld fans nolan fans have been trying to get me to watch person of interest and i'm like life's too short bro uh but <laughs> as it turns out you know do you know the premise of person of interest the cbs series that jonathan nolan did before this one i do not Okay, so uh, char- character actor Michael Emerson uh, of Lost fame uh, plays a you know uh, a, a billionaire genius creator guy who has made a system that is able to predict um, terrorist uh, you know terrorist attacks, uh, and the U.S. government uses it to like cut off terrorist attacks before they happen. Um, but it, the system is also able to predict. Um, like lower level crimes, but the government feels like that's, you know, not worth their time. They don't want to get involved. So he enlists Jim's Jim Caviezel to basically go stop these, 
you know, it's a very minority report, like stop these crimes before mm. they happen sort of thing. Um, but as the seasons go on, it becomes this meditation on like um, AI and control and, and you know, a, a system controlling our lives and like that. Like it is a very much the same story um, that we are dealing with here in season three. So um, maybe we should all go watch Person of Interest. Um, I don't know. But um that's really the takeaway from this episode of, uh, okay. the, pod- of the podcast. <laughs> Check out Person of Interest. Uh, uh, should, should we hit this this last scene in the airplane hangar? Oh, yeah. Uh, so what I'll say about these scenes in the airplane hangar uh, with the uh, Vincent Cassell hologram yeah. is I was impressed that they were able to maintain Vincent Cassell's lighting on the plane in his hologram. You know, I was like, huh, what a nice little, nice little detail there. Uh, cause he's like sitting in his plane and there's like the sun's shining on his face. And that's also true of his hologram. Anyway. Uh, so Caleb gets a package from presumably another one of those guys in the app, a Rico uh, guy, the Rico yeah. app. And he's like, Hey man, I just deliver it. You know, this is, I don't do personals. Maybe Liam was right. Maybe people shouldn't know their own fate. People have the right to know. You wanted to know, right? Well, maybe I'm not like other people. And then uh, they get on the plane to do what exactly, do you think? I think. Here's my theory. If Caleb is, um, and I should say I've not seen the like next time on Westworld. So I this is pure, mm. I think. Um, Caleb is... Uh, a treadstone agent. <laughs> if he is, if he is someone who has been, uh, because one of the things he sees in his flashback is, is himself strapped down to like a white chair. He's got some goggles on and there's like a, a, a woman standing over him and looks like a, a doctor of some kind, perhaps uh, doing running an experiment on him or something like that. So it, let's say that um, Caleb was reeducated uh, in that like warehouse in the middle of, uh, you know, the desert uh, that Liam Dempsey Sr. visited, then I would guess that Dolores would be taking him there to maybe trigger some memories mm. and find out what's happening there right now. I imagine they're going to go there in true Westworld style because we know now, we know they at least have at least one other facility, the Inner Journeys facility, which does not look anything like the warehouse where Liam Dempsey senior went. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, maybe they've upgraded their locations, uh, and, and are masquerading as a mental facility or whatever. But, um, so my guess classic Westworld style would be for them to go to that facility and it would be like abandoned and like, you know, this is, hopefully they did a, uh, Serac did a good job cleaning up after himself, but you never know. <laughs> so, <laughs> You can you can never rely on that guy to be super clean about his stuff. Um uh I'm going to say uh they're getting on a plane to uh intercept Sirak. I'm going to put that out there. Okay. See, see what's going on with there. Uh, maybe I they're going maybe they're going to Berlin. I haven't uh-huh. thought nearly as hard about it as you, so I think you're probably right. <laughs> but I'm just going to put that out there. Um the other thing um I want to say about all that. Do I have anything else to say about all that? Um, I mean, we haven't heard from Maeve this week, but presumably she's being rebuilt um, somewhere. Uh, we haven't the, heard from for the Charlotte eighth time this, week. this season. <laughs> we haven't heard from Charlotte this week. Um, and oh, oh, did you? My, my take on the 
you know, white wall facility, uh, the, you know, where they walk by all these people in their glass cells that looked very like intentionally, uh, the Mesa, um, where, you know, you walk by, people are being sort of experimented yeah. on, um, yeah. in it the remind me of, uh, the forge, right. Or what, what's the one with the library and you see all the little rooms. Oh yeah. 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 The, yeah, yeah, yeah. the forge, uh, or, or yeah. Is it the forge? <laughs> anyway. It's one yeah, of those. that's the forge, yeah. not the cradle. Yeah. Um, with the library, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, and also, um, in season one, there were like, um, you know, when when the robots would be like glitching, like there was a flashback to the early park, and you saw like um, Armistice, and she had sort of like clawed at her own arm, uh, and you saw, I think you saw Abernathy, like basically these these hosts that that were having, they look sort of deranged. But what's true is that, you know, there's just like glitches in their programming or whatever. Mm. So I don't know. Anyway. Cool parallels. Um, cool parallels. Yeah. It's almost as if <laughs> our world and their world are not so different. Uh, it's true. It's true. <laughs> you, <laughs> we're alike, you and I. Um, mm. Okay. I think that's going to wrap us up for uh, this week's episode. Uh, love the flashback stuff. Uh, wasn't a fan of the other stuff. Always great to see Vincent Cassell do some nice work on screen. Uh, but overall, uh, I thought it was a pretty rough episode. It sounds like you actually liked it quite a bit. I don't, like if you take the genre stuff out, if you take a lot of the Caleb and Dolores stuff out, like I like all the Ciroc stuff. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The Ciroc stuff is is pretty strong so far. And I do want to give a shout out to like, uh, you know, you got to create uh, for the for the production design of like what the insight system looks like yeah. not just the big globe, but like all the screens that yeah, Connell's yeah, yeah. is interfacing with. They look incredible. I thought they looked really cool. And I know I've talked about this at, at infinitum, but I do think like devs is just a really interesting parallel. These are two shows taking on somewhat similar topics and Very doing similar. so in extremely different ways, mm-hmm. right? Extre- like they could not be more different stylistically. And that's just fascinating to see like these two shows on the air, like at the same time, uh, and talking about really similar topics, but doing it in really different ways. It's like a, a kind of interesting creative experiment almost. You know, like you, you gave two directors the same creative brief and uh, they ran with it in different, wildly different directions. So it's just, it's just really interesting to see. So Devs is on Hulu right now and on FX. Would recommend it. Okay. That's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode. Thanks to Baby Zhang for editing this episode. Thanks to Simplecast. For powering Decoding Westworld, Simplecast is the first and last word in podcast management and analytics. Learn more at simplecast.com. And you can find more episodes of this podcast at decodingwestworld.com. Email us at decodingwestworld at gmail.com. Until next week, Joanna Robinson, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Oh, they can find me on vanityfair.com. I will be covering... I'm really excited to be doing this. I'm covering the show Mrs. America for the Still Watching mm. podcast. Um, uh, this is a an FX on Hulu joint, uh, and we've gotten um, FX has like sort of rolled out the carpet in terms of access to interviews uh, for the podcast. So we have great guests like Kate Blanchett, Uzo Duba, Rose Byrne. Like this cast is incredible, and we're getting to talk to all of them for the podcast. So still watching colon mrs america for vanity fair check it out i and i love the show i think the show's incredible uh davi waller who uh was a longtime writer and producer on mad men uh is the creator of this and it's really got that sort of like 
lived in she also worked on halt and catch fire it's got that like lived in recent history um vibe to it and it's a really really uh great story great cast so check out the show and check out the podcast awesome yeah i've heard the show's great i look forward to watching it um and congrats on the on the big gets on the podcast but yeah the show's mrs america and it's going to be on fx on hulu i'm looking forward to watching it so starting april 15th yeah and uh, find me on Twitter at Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen SKY. I also host a show called Culturally Relevant. Uh, check that out. It's interviews with filmmakers, artists, and writers. Uh, until next week, we'll see you later. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 